Gennaro Rewind, hosted by Matt Namofsky. Hello, NRL fans. Welcome back to the NRL Rewind podcast. I'm your host, Matt Namofsky. Nomis, you're still here with me, mate. It's been a it's been a long trek, but we're we're the second last podcast, mate. Twenty to ten. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, the pointy end of things. Um, we're gonna go through some great players here, no doubt. Look, these are all the favorites. Obviously, I think when anyone does a list, when any website does a list like this, the the top ones are pretty set in stone. But I love to see where um, they fall in line because it does give you a little bit of a helping hand to see how some people, you know, uh, respect their careers and, you know, value what they did in the game. So we'll get right into a mate with number 20. I mentioned him at the end of the last podcast. It is the Raging Bull Gordon Tallis. 141 NRL games. That was seven seasons. 15 games for Queensland, 13 for Australia, two premierships, one Clive Churchill medalist, one time second row of the year, and he is a member of the Australian Rugby League Hall of Fame. So with Gordy, Nom, I don't know about you, but my memory, my greatest memory of him is dragging and ragdolling poor Brett Hodgson into touching origin. Would that be your raging bull moment? I think so. I think so. Uh, I think that's one of the most iconic moments uh, in you know, not only state of origin, but rugby league history. 100%. And with Talis, another guy here who the career's cut short a little bit due to us having the deadline in 1998. He did have a couple of dragon years early, set out to go to Brisbane. And once he got to Brisbane, for example, here, I've got he's played seven seasons. I had five peak from 98 to 02. Maybe not a better second rower in the comp. Um, there is one more guy coming up here. But yeah, with Talis, it was just brute force and strength in everything he did, whether it was the defense, whether it was the running of the ball. You knew exactly what you were getting from him. And I think his leadership, especially when he took over the captaincy reins, he... We talk about like what is a Queenslander. We talk about, you know, what's an Australian player. We talk about what's a Bronco when the Broncos were at their peak. I think you you can't look anywhere else but Gordon Tallis to kind of set that platform. Yeah, that's right. Um, pretty much aggression personified. You know, you don't get the nickname Raging Bull without uh you know being <laughs> uh being passive on the field. He he definitely, you know, um led his team from the front foot and you know. Like what he did to Hodgson, he sort of grabbed, uh, you know, grabbed the game by the scruff of his neck, and then you know, try took his team with him. Yeah, and if he was playing in today's NRL, like you know, what would be the comp? Could he be like a day for feeder right now on an edge? I think he could. You know, he's got that. He was especially early on in his career really mobile and can like power over. When you look at those NRL classics from '98 to '01, basically. Again, he could go step by step with any second rower. He could go aggression for aggression through any front rower. Um, to mm. me, he was just the absolute complete package and well-deserving of his Hall of Fame spot that he got recently. And I think, yeah, number 20 on the list could have even been a bit higher, but uh, that just shows the talent that we've got here. Because number 19, I've got Luke Lewis. So 324 NRL games, 18 seasons, 122 tries, 17 games for New South Wales, 16 for Australia, two premierships with two different teams, one Clive Churchill medalist and one time lock of the year. So the reason why I went Luke Lewis over Gordon Tallis, they, I had them pegged right from the very first draft. I had Tallis and Lewis right around this spot. I went with Lewis only because he had the two positions. So he obviously started out as the winger at the Panthers, won that premiership in 03, him and Luke Rooney forming that wing partnership. But then later career, moving into the second row and turning into probably one of the better second row locks in the game. And I think doesn't show anything but that 2016 grand final. 
Um, he was absolutely mammoth. And one of these players, and a lot of these players on this list are going to get better with age here. And Luke Lewis, to me, got every drop out of his 324 games in the league. Yeah, that's right. Um, what I sort of, I guess, overlooked about Luke Lewis is longevity. You mentioned it, the 18 seasons in our NRL. Um, that's incredible. And it gets to sort of dominate, or I guess, do so well in two um, very different, you know, the backs and the and the forwards as well. To dominate in two positions, um, that's, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and, he, and right now, when wingers don't, can't get games, they like to go into the second row and try and get some, you know, time on the edge or in the middle. But it wasn't really a thing back in 2003 when obviously Luke Lewis was starting out. Uh, then he eventually got shifted over. And like I said, with the 18 seasons, I've got his three peak years from 2015 to 2017 at the end of his career. So now we're talking, he's already played 250 games. He's got all that experience. The body's still good. He was just one of those guys that, you can just tell was in peak fitness all the time. Like this commando show, you know, he could easily slip in there and, you know, do that. But for me, again, great in the representative arena, even better, I think, for club. And you know what I mean? 122 tries. You don't you don't fall over the line 100 times in the league. He did it consistently. Got better with age. Two premierships, two different clubs. There's a short list of players who did that in good roles and starring roles. So I thought I had time over in the top 20 and he just gets the, the nod over Talos for me. 100%. Number 18 is probably in our top five favorite player for me all time. It's Anthony Minicello. 302 NRL games, 15 seasons, 139 tries, 11 games for New South Wales, 19 for Australia, one golden boot, two premierships, one time fullback of the year, and one time Wally Lewis medalist. So with Mini, I think this, the greatest testament to him is he had two stages of his career. He obviously had the young Mini coming through as a winger, moving into fullback, becoming the best fullback in the game, having the golden boot. Late career, a couple of injuries, sticks around for that 2013 side uh, and is a force in that. He wasn't just like being carried there, he was a force. To me, Minicello is, when you're talking about fullbacks in the game, again, we have this conversation about if there's no Joey, no Thurston, if there's no Billy Slater, Anthony Minicello has a real case to be the best fullback of the NRL era. Yeah, the count. Uh, he's, yeah, probably... Well, my all-time favorite player as well. I mean, you can't think of Minicello without thinking about, you know, his dominance with the golden boot and during that state of origin period where, you know, um, New South Wales was dominating. Um, but yeah, for him to have, I guess, to really come back from all those uh, back surgeries, uh, it's, it's been incredible for him to actually, because, um, you know, there was that period in the late 2000s where, you know, he did have those recurring injuries and, um I guess to come back and get that premiership, it's it's a great testament to to him. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I've got his four peak seasons for me is 02 to 05. That's when he was really bursting on the wing. They couldn't keep him on the wing any longer. Um, he goes into the fullback role. It coincides with um, Darren Lockyer moving into the five eight role. So all of a sudden, now the best fullback in the comp in the world position opens up, and he just grabs it with two hands and absolutely runs away with it. Talking about greatest moments for you for Mini. You probably have to be finishing that try off Joey in origin with the kick, hits off the post, mini dives over to me. That's just a typical Minicello, right place, right time. You know, so many guys would have got injured in that play the way two guys were crashing into him off the crossbar. He just did it so elegantly, popped straight up. That's mini to me. He's class. Again, I'm one of these guys who, this wasn't a thing back then, wingers didn't go to fullback. He really started, to, he started that position where he was just too good on the wing 
they were like, we got to get the ball in his hands, which is such a thing right now when, you know, you think about someone like an Addo Car in today's game who probably couldn't play any fullback, but he sees all these great players and it started with Minnie who did that change. And so I think it's a testament to what he did. And like I said, now in this top 20, we're starting to get players that are revolutionizing the game and their roles. You know, you think of, you know, Talis is obviously just a, a great second round, but then Luke Lewis, second wing to second row, Minicello wing to fullback. Uh, but we'll move on to number 17, Nom. And I'd say he would be in your top five players as well. To me, as the second best hooker of all time in the NRL era. It is Danny Badiris at 17. 256 NRL games, 13 seasons, 21 games for New South Wales, 25 for Australia, the 2020. One Dally M, one premiership, three-time hooker of the year, one-time rep player of the year. So with Bedsy, it's just got to be said, if there's no Cameron Smith, he's easily by far and away the best hooker to play since 1998. You think of that career, 256 games, if there's today's medicine and training and professionalism, can you get that closer to 340, 350? And then what are we talking about? But I think you play that career 10 times out of 10, this is a very top high end. He got a Dalian, which is a prestigious award, or it was at least back then. He's got the premiership, multiple time position of the year, eight years of his peak, in my opinion, from 01 to 08. Really did solidify until Cam Smith grabbed it from him. I just think he's an all-around great player. And obviously, as the Novocastrian fan here, I'm sure you have a lot more to add here. Oh, mate. Don't I wish he was available to, you know, lace up and play this season with uh, Brayley out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with Danny Badiris, I mean, yeah, as a as a diehard uh, Novocastrian fan, I mean, what else can I say? He... Uh, without a doubt, you know, if you know, if you sort of um, don't think of Cam Smith, he's definitely um, he's definitely there as a, as a top hooker. I mean, probably the best hooker without Cam Smith. You know, in that period of early two thousands to you know early to mid two thousands, he was just pretty much untouchable. He was in all those you know he started very heavily in all those kangaroo tours and all those um, that sort of New South Wales dominance. He was yeah front setter. Yeah, 100%. And his combination with Joey, um, they just knew each other like a book. Um, you think of the rep jerseys, you know, 20 and 20 for Australia was always dominant, always the, you know, we talk about like first names on the team sheet. During the early 2000s, there was no other hook you'd even contend with. It was just Badira straight into the number nine jersey. Late in his career, didn't wasn't one of those ones that went out with a win, but did have a bit of spark about him even at the end. But you think about Prime Badiris, you think of like 01 to 05 for me, those kind of four years, darting out dummy half when he wanted to, provided a fantastic surface. Wasn't one of these hookers that had a kicking game out of dummy half. Wasn't really electric and speedy out of dummy half, but just knew how to pick his moments. A crafty footballer. And yeah, I think when you think about Badiris, to me, it's just class. It's um, professionalism. It's all those things that you just want from a guy that played 256 games and got the most out of his career. Number 16, Jamie Lyon. So for me, it's I keep using the word underrated on a lot of these, but I think a lot of people are going to see Jamie Lyon this high and, um, you know, question. But let me let me run through the resume first and I'll talk you through the thing here. So 294 NRL games, 15 seasons, 1,550 NRL points, 10 games for New South Wales, eight for Australia, two premierships, four-time centre of the wing, two-time captain of the year. So that's the resume, but let me also add a couple of things on before I throw it to you, Nom. He came into the Parramatta side as a teenager in 01 for that greatest attacking um, team of all time, the 2001 Eels. 
starred in a grand final in his teens, walked away from the game um, pretty unceremoniously, left Parramatta, went to the bush, then went to England. Over in England, we're not counting this as part of his resume, but tore up over there, Man of Steel, all the records over there. Walks back in, he was a centre, stays a centre, also goes in a 5-8 late in the career and really, you know, plays a good good role there. He's that good. He keeps saying no to rep jerseys. They beg him to come play some, some rep footy again and he ends up playing a couple of games. So to me, I just think he's one of those guys. He just gets forgotten because he has that he had that stint. He was really young at the first half, still played fantastic, came back at the end, was a driving force in those manly sides. I just You just can't deny the resume, Nom. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you mentioned that sort of, um, weird stint where he went to the bush, went to um, went to England, but he also he pulled himself out of representative as well, um, so that he didn't get as many New South Wales caps and Australia caps because he, um, you know, he he just wanted to focus on club footy and geez, it didn't he show up for the Seagulls? I mean, during that sort of um, peak stint at the um, Seagulls, he got two premierships there as well. Yeah, and. Uh, to me, whatever situation he went into, he was just really successful. You know, won those two premierships in 08 and 11 with Manly. I don't know if they um, win without him because, you know, he went over to St. Helens, who St. Helens is, you know, one of the big guns in English football. And they basically regard him as their best ever center who went over there, like won multiple premierships, came back. And, you know, the speed of the game between NRL and Super League, we always love to say our NRL stars can go over the Super League and dominate. But there must have been a bit of doubt in his mind to think going from the Super League back to the NRL, can he, you know, can he match that and succeed? And he got even better. You know, you think about, you know, 10, 11, 13, 14, one center of the year, you know, as captain of the year, all these different things, you know, 100 tries, 500 goals, so many different resume statistics that he had. And he had that two-year sabbatical in the middle, basically in the middle of his career, you know, from 05 and 06. He's over there in England tearing it up. But, yeah, he's worked with Manly. Um, you just can't deny it. He's just one of those guys that, again, similar to Luke Lewis, if he's in your team, you're going to win. There's no shortcuts with Jamie Lyon. There's no, I'm worried about what he's going to give me this week. You know exactly what you're going to get, and you're going to get a winner. And you're going to get just, like I said, all, all these guys, you know, you can use all the adjectives you want, but Jamie Lyon, to me, is just an absolute winner. Yeah, and can't forget his goal kicking as well. I mean, he had it all. I mean, he would be a super coach. <laughs> First round pick, without a doubt. 100%. Number 15 is Shane Webke. 220 NRL games, nine seasons, 21 games for Queensland, 26 for Australia, the 2020, three premierships, three-time forward of the year, and a Hall of Fame Australian Rugby League member. So with Webke, uh, him and Seven Seaver obviously pretty tight at the hip. Uh, Seven Seaver hasn't been mentioned yet, so that's just a little preview for later but for Shane Webke again we talk about we've talked about a couple of these props now um that have just it's no frills it's no no flash it's just get the job done and you know from 98 to 2002 he's those pop those five peak years there probably wasn't a better front row you wanted in your squad yeah that's right um you mentioned um you can't mention I guess Webke without Simon Siva but yeah what he did at at Brisbane, um, I mean, he's probably he, he's probably in my mind one of the best front rowers. I mean, between him, maybe Petro Sivnasiva, maybe Arthur Beetson. I'm no, I know we're not going that far back, but geez, he um, 
he he was pretty much yeah meat and potatoes, and he just yeah got got the team going. Yeah, his go for was ridiculous. You know, right now again, you think about just how open the game is right now, and obviously the speed of the game would probably hurt someone like like a webkey. But to me, giving that giving that bit more space and you know get a bit of leg drive going, why couldn't he do what Matt Scott did in you know 2010 2015? Why can't he do? You know, he's not he's not like a pain Haas type. But I just think of you know even someone like a Jesse Bromwich. He could have easily, like with his skill and his effort, he could have learned to have a little bit of a pass in him or something like that. 220 games, again, for that time of, you know, the the league and the the way we trained and the way we played and all these different things, it's unders. And again, you think about, you know, three premierships. He was part of three, three grand final winning sides. He's a Hall of Fame member. So he left nothing on the table. He had a great seat, a great career, but... Some of these guys, you look back, and especially these two that we mentioned so far, Talis and Webkey, you just would have loved to have seen with a bit of space in today's game. Number 14, Nom, I've got another prop. It's Steve Price, or another Queensland prop has come into the fold here. 255 NRL games, 12 seasons, 28 games for Queensland, 16 for Australia, one premiership, one-time front row of the year, and a three-time captain of the year. So with Steve Price, the numbers are all there. Very similar to Shane Webkey minus the the front row. But the reason why I gave Steve Price the edge, two reasons. One, the captaincy that he had. He was a real leader of men. Um, and then, you know, he went to another. He wasn't just in such a stable, uh, you know, position like Webkey at the Broncos for all those years. Steve Price was at the Mighty Bulldogs, went to the Warriors, one of those first real, you know, Australian nationals to go over to the Warriors and really succeed and put in a good shift. With Price, you know, again, no frills, roll out the middle, but you just felt you just felt safe if you had Shane Webke in your, uh, sorry, Steve Price in your team. You just knew what you were going to get. And, you know, I think back to a game that he didn't even play is probably, to me, his greatest moment is the, the 04 grand final. Obviously, he was suspended. Thurston in the jersey for him. And, mm. you know, Thurston gave him the ring out of respect. And, you know, Andrew Ryan let him hold the, the, the trophy up at full time that that's you can just tell that all his team loved him and that that's a great leader yeah exactly i mean obviously it's a shame that he didn't get to um play because of suspension but yeah that i mean no doubt that that um that bulldogs pack would have struggled without him there he, he was a huge part of their um i guess their push to to that premiership back in the o2 yeah, and you got to think. You think about the the bulldog sides in that run. You know, you had some real talented, different forwards. You know, you have Andrew Ryan, you have Willie Mason. You know, guys um, that can Marco Miller that can do a job. But then you didn't have someone like a Steve Price, just car the ball up and you know and you get you know fifty. Give me fifty minutes. Give me seventeen hitouts. Give me one hundred and thirty meters and thirty tackles. And that's what Steve Price gave you. And again. When he went to the Warriors in the career, you know, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, you don't want to be giving Steve Price decent money at this stage of his career with all the miles. But what he did, he absolutely performed. And, you know, you think of his 12 seasons, to me, 10 were peak, you know, basically. The last two seasons was just a touch under what he would normally give you. But for 10 double-digit years, he put in an output that most forwards in the NRL could only dream of. Yeah, it's not like he just sort of went to New Zealand and cashed out paycheck. I'm pretty sure he got uh, a Dalian Prop the Year Award when he was in New Zealand as well. So um, he was still good right until then. Yeah, that's it. 
couple more here in this pod nom. So we got three more left in the penthouse, and then the whole last podcast, the last ten is on the the neck, the last level. But number thirteen here is to me what could have been if a couple of injuries went his way. He was really close to me getting into the top tier, but I have got Brett Morris at 13, 276 NRL games, 16 seasons, 176 NRL tries. We'll come back to that. 15 games for New South Wales, 18 for Australia, and two premierships. So two things absolutely stands out to me with Brett Morris's career. How he has not got one Dallium rep of something. He's never won a winger of the year, never won a fullback of the year. Never won a center of the year. That, uh, that amazes me that never happened. Joey Lailua has two centers of the year. So that tells you why the award isn't what it, what it should be. But to me, it's the try scoring. He was our closest chance to having the Ken Irvine 212 try record broken. At 176, he was flying with the Roosters. He could have easily sat on that wing for another two or three seasons. He was scoring at a ridiculous pace in those last two seasons. Uh, injuries took it away. But yeah, when you talk about what's the most I can get out of a career. I think this is the best out of all 10 scenarios you play Brett Morris's career. This is the best one you're going to get, even with the injuries and no rep honors there. That's that's criminal, isn't it? That he hasn't got a single winger of the year because in my mind, when I think of, I guess, the best wingers in the NRL era, he was, he'd hands down have, have a mortgage on, on one of those spots. Well, to me, that and that's why, that's why I wanted to do this podcast because if we have someone who doesn't know anything about football and goes, okay, they hand out awards, let me go see, and that would give me a picture. The fact that Brett Morris, a guy who's played nearly 300 games, 16 seasons, nearly got 200 uh, tries, you know, 15 rep jerseys, 15 rep jerseys, two premierships, doesn't have one. It's ridiculous. And he's he is the uh, top winger in our uh, bracket. He says no more wingers. He's the last one off the board. Just a try scorer. You know, when he's on the wing, even when he shifted into the fullback role for those couple of years of the Dogs, he was just a try scorer, a finisher. And I love that he was able to go to the Roosters in such a high-profile environment those last couple just to really show what he was doing. And again, the try scoring rate he was doing, you know, there was the odd in warm-ups, he pinged a hamstring or whatever. But my God, when he was on the field in those last couple of seasons, you know, you think about late career Bulldogs, Brett Morris, there was a chance that it was not going to go great, but... Man, he got everything out of his body. Yeah, um, you know, especially in that, I guess it's a shame that he did um, get injured and went up the way he did because, yeah, he really did get everything out of his body. He was good right until the end. And even when he got injured, I mean, he was scoring at a rate of like probably two tries a game in the 2021 season before he got injured. So, yeah. And I, and again, another longevity guy, you know, 16 seasons. I have 13 as peak. Basically, his first three seasons, he was kind of finding his feet. He's still a great football in those first three seasons, but from 09 to 21, basically to the end of his last game. And it's pretty hard to say. And a lot of these guys will be like that, but he was just, uh, he was on, he was one of our, like you said, a mortgage on the best wing spot, at least one of them. There's a debate on number two. Number one, to me, there's not even a debate. And I wanted to try and fit him into the top 10. I just couldn't put him in there, but. Yeah, an outstanding career. But we'll move on to number 12, the second last one in this podcast. It's Paul Gallon, the G-Train, 340 NRL games, 19 seasons, 24 games for New South Wales, 32 games for Australia, one premiership, three-time lock of the year, one-time Wally Lewis medalist. So with Gallon, you know, again, we've been talking about the Queenslanders that we grew up to despise and really resent 
I'm sure for Queenslanders, Paul Gallon was that guy for them. Just always in and about it. You look at those stats, 24 games for New Zealand, 32 for Australia. It was immense in the rep arena. Got that premiership, which, again, he's no, he's nowhere close to this spot. If he didn't win the premiership in 16, but he got that one. You know, he played lock early. He went into the front row multiple times, especially in the rep arena. But 19 seasons for a front rower. Yes, we can make fun of the peptide scandal. We can make all those different jokes. But at the end of the day, 348 games for a front rower in, you know, and he came basically came from two errors, right? He was oh, like those 12 seasons that I've got him out of his out of his 19 was 05 to 16. The game was vastly different places in those two areas. And, you know, he carried on probably a season or two too late. But with Gallon, there wasn't many guys you'd want in your four pack um, more than the G train. Yeah, what an incredible 19 seasons. And um, yeah, like you, I think you summed it up well. To do that in the front row as well, um, he really dominated whether he was in lock or in the prop position. Um, obviously, he came, he, he was a big part of, you know, um, c- coming up with the captain, the Blues in that dynasty. It was very difficult, but for him to actually, you know, break the drought in 2014. And then he broke his uh, premiership drought in 2016. 20- uh, 2016, um, yeah, it, it was just all effort from him, wasn't it? Yeah, all effort, all heart. You know, he bled for the Sharks. You know, the moment I think about for him is obviously finishing the set piece for Barber in that grand final, to, you know, out of all the guys to throw on inside, a little cheeky inside ball at the back of the scrum. You would not have picked it for Paul Gallen, but again, he got these just dues. He worked at it, you know, from when he was a you know, strangling young forward coming through the ranks at the Sharks to being probably the best Sharks forward of all time. Um, solidified himself as a New South Wales legend. Um, all of it. He's had a great career. But the last man in this podcast, the last man in the penthouse and the man just to miss out on the top 10, I've got Benji Marshall, the recently retired Benji Marshall. 335 NRL games, 19 seasons, 96 NRL tries, 31 games for New Zealand, one golden boot, one premiership, one time 5 eighth of the year. So with Benji, the, the resume isn't as long as the other ones. The peak isn't as long as the other ones. You know, I've got 19 seasons he played. I've only got really, for me, there were seven peak Benji seasons from 05 to 11. But what he did in those in those peak years, you know, you obviously got the premiership in 05, you got the golden boot. He played with, uh, you know, the 5 eights were when you kind of think about that time in the NRL, early 2000s to mid 2000s, you know, your halfback was the main playmaker and the five, eight was just, you know, run the ball, occasionally kick, give a short ball. What Benji did come in, you know, all the steps, all the flick passes, all the, you know, the, the chip and chases, all the, you know, all the different things he did, you know, kicking field goals from 50 meters out. He just added excitement to the game. And I think what out of nearly everyone on this list, he's probably in the top three of, impact on the juniors on the schools everyone wanted to be benji marshall and like i said that 05 to 11 period there probably wasn't a better you know copycat player than benji marshall no you know he's um benji marshall you can't really talk about him without you know that flick pass the benji step um yeah he i mean you know uh, I think I agree that he probably doesn't make it to that top level. A lot of people are talking about him and immortality. Um, he probably didn't have enough seasons where he really steered the team to a premiership. You know, in 05, that was really Scott Prince's um, premiership. But 
you know, there's no doubt Benji is one of the the greats for the game. Just, um, you know, he obviously got a gold boot and had a fantastic career, but his influence outside the game as well, it was immense. Yeah, to me, you summed it up perfectly there. On the field, he's probably still top 25 in my opinion, Um, but you have to factor in the other stuff. You have to factor in, you know, for the guys like, you know, we talk about Stacey Jones and Sean Johnson, really out of the Kiwi halves, it was Benji Marshall that really probably, I think, had the biggest impact in terms of the, the way the game is played right now. Um, what he could have done to get into the top, you know, 10, if the if the Rabbits were able to do something in the grand final, if he was able to, you know, if Reynolds couldn't play and Benji had to be the starting seven and steer them around, there was a chance there. I, I had him penciled in 10 or 11, depending on how the grand final went. I did like how his career ended, but, um, you know, there was a chance when he went to the Auckland Blues to go to rugby, there was a chance that the career was just going to flame out. You know, there was a couple of pit stops at the Dragons, the Broncos. Um, it wasn't looking great, but he did steer himself back up when he went to the Tigers and proved that he was still probably one of the best at the Tigers. Going into that rabbit situation with Wayne Bennett and going, let me be your super sub. And there was games last year in season 19, he turned when he came on the park. So, look, there was longevity there. There was... You know, some good footy on the park, but I think it's the all the other stuff that gets him into the number 11 slot. Yeah, 100%. All right, that will do it. We're one podcast. I'm at, we're at the top 10. So thank you very much for coming on, mate. No, no worries. Looking forward to the next. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We're, we're at the last podcast. It's been a fun little series here. Me and I've been punching these away. So I'm hoping you guys are enjoying it. The top 10, we you probably know the names by now, but we'll go through it all in detail. So thanks everyone for listening. Have a great day and hear from you soon. Cheers.